The Central Weather Bureau lifted its land and sea warnings for Typhoon Doksuri at 5.30 p.m. on Friday, after the storm made landfall in China. Despite that, more bad weather could be on the horizon as another tropical storm has formed southeast of Taiwan. It's called Tropical Storm Kanun, and it's moving in a north-northwest direction. On Sunday and Monday, it will veer northeast and could bring heavy showers to central and northern Taiwan starting Tuesday. Though the likelihood of it making landfall is small, many factors could still affect the storm's path as it approaches Taiwan. Typhoon Doksuri may have left Taiwan proper at around noon on Friday, but its strong winds and torrential rains have devastated parts of southern and eastern Taiwan, as well as the outlying archipelagos of Penghu and Jingmen. Starting Thursday night, roadside trees were toppled in more than a thousand places in Kaohsiung and Tainan, and houses were hit by falling trees. After a night of strong winds and heavy rains in Hualien, a landslide occurred in Zhuoshi Township at 5 o'clock a.m., blocking the only road leading out of Sisui village up in the mountains. After five hours of work, it was finally cleared. Moving down to Kaohsiung, many roadside trees in urban areas were uprooted or blown down. Emergency workers rapidly sealed off affected areas. A sudden gust of wind also caused three big trees to topple in Yenshang district near Kaohsiung's harbour, pressing down on the rooftop awning of a house. Wind from the port area blew in once and it began to fall at little over 2am last night. It was really scary. Nearly 300 roadside trees blew over in Kaohsiung and nearly 900 in Tainan. In Pingdong city, uprooted trees could also be seen everywhere. Turning to the outlying islands, Jinmen experienced wind gusts of 14 on the Beaufort scale and waves 10 metres high surged over an embankment. Even a large sign on the side of the road was toppled. <laughs> Utility poles were also blown down, causing stray electric wires to catch fire. More than 7,000 households in Jinmen saw power outages. Strong winds also saw cancellations or delays to flights to the Penghu archipelago, and there were reports of hundreds of accidents, such as people's rooftops getting blown off, toppled roadside trees and downed traffic lights. No injuries or deaths were reported on Friday. Six U.S. lawmakers say a proposed meeting between U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris and the DPP's presidential candidate Vice President Lai Qingde would send a clear signal to Beijing that the Biden administration won't cower in the face of belligerence from the PRC. These lawmakers have sent an open letter to Vice President Harris urging her to meet with Lai. In the letter, they argue that such a meeting would help Taiwan cement its existing diplomatic relations with its allies. Let's hear more about what they have to say. The DPP's presidential candidate, Vice President Lai Ching-de, has already interacted and exchanged pleasantries with US Vice President Kamala Harris. Early last year, Lai led a special delegation to attend the inauguration of the Honduran president. The two appeared together in the same video footage, which was considered a historic incident. 
Everyone interacted naturally. I think this could also be an opportunity in the future for us, and we must continue to work hard at cooperating to do this. Some are hoping for another diplomatic breakthrough. Ahead of expected transits through the US in August, Republican House Representative Tom Tiffany spearheaded an open letter to US Vice President Kamala Harris, urging her to meet with Lai. Tiffany tweeted that the Biden administration should not cower in the face of the PRC's bullying tactics. Instead, Harris should meet with Lai to show support for Taiwan. The US Senate and House of Representatives are actually very supportive of Taiwan's democratic development. We are also very grateful to these six members of Congress. They are willing to put forward this proposal so that our Vice President can experience even more courtesies that democratic countries give other countries, along with goodwill that is shown to an ally. The open letter to Harris was jointly signed by six House representatives. It mentioned that the PRC is continuously increasing its pressure on Taiwan and recklessly trying to provoke a conflict in the Taiwan Strait. A meeting between Lai and Harris could become a new milestone in the friendship between the US and Taiwan. Aside from sending a clear message to China, the letter said this would help Taiwan cement its remaining diplomatic partnerships and demonstrate that the Biden administration will not cower in the face of increasing Chinese belligerence and bullying. However, one scholar thinks it may actually be difficult to stage a meeting between Lai and Harris. Fundamentally, the likelihood is low that there could be a meeting at the vice presidential level. The reason being that the State Department has a long-standing practice or policy to not be so high profile. So like last year when President Tsai Ing-wen transited the US, she actually met with the House Speaker. No one knows if there will be a meeting between Harris and Lai. But one thing is certain, when Lai transits the US, he will be the focus of attention. The National Immigration Agency on Thursday held a ceremony that conferred diplomas to the participants of a program to boost exchanges among immigration officials. This latest edition of the program, which was launched in July, had 20 participants from 12 countries. At the closing ceremony, the agency announced some good news. Singaporean travelers will now be able to use Taiwan's automated immigration counters, known as eGate. That makes Singapore the sixth country in the world with which Taiwan has a reciprocal immigration clearance agreement. When going abroad, many travelers use e-gates to breeze through immigration. Until now, Taiwan had reciprocal agreements with just five countries, the US, South Korea, Australia, Italy and Germany. Now Singapore has joined the list. Since April, Singapore has allowed Taiwanese to go through automated clearance for free. All that's required is a minimum age of six years, passport validity of at least six months, and to have filled in a landing card online within 72 hours before boarding the flight. Taiwan is now extending reciprocal access to Singaporeans. However, they must be at least 12 years old, be at least 140 centimeters tall, and have a chip-enabled passport with a validity of at least six months. They must also have filled in an arrival card and have registered to use the system. 
We will continue working with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to expand further so that Taiwanese travellers can enjoy the convenience of e-gate upon departing and arriving in Taiwan and in other countries. Before the pandemic, there were some airlines in Singapore that were planning on increasing their services to Taiwan. So now that we're gradually resuming bilateral exchanges, I hope we can make more things better. According to the Singapore Trade Office in Taipei, before the pandemic, about 400,000 Singaporeans travelled to Taiwan every year, and about the same number of Taiwanese travelled to Singapore. Both sides hope to increase this combined total of 800,000 arrivals to 1 million after the pandemic. In related news, the latest addition of an NIA program to promote exchanges among immigration officials from abroad has come to an end. We hope that immigration officials from other countries can come to Taiwan and learn how Taiwan promotes its immigration-related affairs. In the first edition of the program, only seven people from four countries took part. This year, participation came up to 20 officials from 12 countries who came to Taiwan for training. The NIA hopes the exchanges will bring more opportunities to cooperate with other countries. TSMC inaugurated its new R&D center in Xinju Friday, signaling its intentions to continue to operate in Taiwan. The ceremony was attended by TSMC founder Morris Chang, who was joined by Premier Chen Jianren and company executives. The R&D center has a total floor area of 300,000 square meters and is expected to be a workplace for more than 7,000 R&D specialists. The center will focus on advanced processes, including 1 and 2 nanometer chip manufacturing and quantum computing. TSMC founder Morris Chang, Premier Chen Jianren, Economics Minister Wang Meihua and other officials stand together at the opening ceremony for TSMC's new R&D center. The big building behind me is TSMC's R&D center with 10 floors above ground and 7 underground levels. The center has been dubbed the Taiwanese version of the Nokia Bell Labs. The complex has a total floor area of about 42 soccer pitches. Construction started three years ago. About 7,000 R&D specialists will work here, focusing on 1 and 2 nanometer chip manufacturing processes, wide-band gap semiconductors and quantum computing. Over the past five years at least, or perhaps even longer, 10 years, TSMC's R&D teams and executive team have made huge contributions to the company, the global semiconductor industry and even the global economy. Of course, it is thanks to your big contributions that TSMC has become a key strategic asset. We're working hard to do what we're supposed to do, but we've also heard some people voicing concerns. They wonder whether TSMC's focus is shifting away from Taiwan. The opening of this global R&D centre is a way of telling the people of Taiwan that we are set on staying in Taiwan. TSMC invests about 8% of its annual revenue in R&D. 
This year, it invested about 20% more funds into R&D than the year before, about 200 billion NT. Article 10, paragraph 2 of the Statute for Industrial Innovation has been reviewed and passed. There is also consensus on the implementation of the details of related regulations, which will be released in August. This investment offset mechanism creates greater investment incentives in the industry. The inauguration ceremony was held as scheduled despite the inclement weather brought about by the typhoon. Representatives from academia, industry and government attended the ceremony to witness an important step for Taiwan's leading chipmaker. Japan imposed export controls on advanced microchip technologies this week, mirroring recent moves by the United States and the Netherlands. The controls are widely seen as targeting China. Analysts say it is vital that Western allies coordinate their export controls. Henry Ridgewell reports for Voice of America. Japan has listed 23 types of semiconductor technology that are now subject to export restrictions. They include advanced microchip manufacturing equipment, such as machines that deposit films on silicon wafers, to devices that etch out the microscopic circuits of chips. The move will impact China's ability to make advanced chips, says analyst Yoshiaki Takayama. Because the number of companies with the capacity to manufacture cutting-edge chips is extremely limited, the Japanese measure makes it difficult for China not only to import advanced chips, but also to manufacture them. The United States banned the export of some advanced microchips and semiconductor manufacturing technology to China last October. The Netherlands, another key producer of semiconductors, has also imposed export restrictions. Washington says it wants to stop Beijing from using the technology for military purposes. At the May G7 summit in Japan, allies agreed on the need to de-risk from potential Chinese economic coercion and avoid becoming reliant on China for semiconductor technologies. So China's advanced semiconductor manufacturing capacity will not grow, at least in the short to medium term. Japan did not name China as the target of its export restrictions, which apply to 160 countries in total. But Beijing reacted with anger. In disregard of China's serious concerns, Japan insisted on making and implementing export control measures that are clearly aimed at China. Analysts say it is vital that Western allies coordinate their export controls. The U.S. is expected to update its list of banned semiconductor technologies in the coming weeks. Henry Richwell for VOA News, Tokyo. Wireless earphones are booming, with the global market set to reach 563.2 billion U.S. dollars in 2030. Amid soaring demand, companies are launching wireless earphones with innovative features. Our reporter Stephen Yang has the hottest trends to watch out for. Wireless earphones have become popular among music lovers and athletes due to the convenience they offer. 
I use wireless earphones more often because it's convenient. With wired earphones, sometimes my hair will get caught and the earphones will fall off. So I think wireless earphones are more convenient. With the market for wireless earphones growing each year, companies are offering more and more options. Cutting-edge technologies, including the metaverse, are expected to drive new momentum for wireless earphones. In the past few years, due to the impact of working from home and the pandemic, the market for true wireless earphones has grown. From 2019, the annual growth rate has been about 25 percent. In terms of true wireless earphones, aside from the traditional and most basic Bluetooth earphones, there are also features like noise cancelling, voice commands and hearing enhancement, which is the latest feature to appear. The earphones can adjust automatically based on the noise of the environment and the human voice so that people with hearing loss can hear better. But even with new features popping up on the market, wired headsets still have their loyal fans. I use wired Circum Auro headphones. Many people will use wireless earphones, but the sound can get covered up by cars on the road. I pay attention to sound quality when choosing earphones. Generally, if you choose headphones, you should consider the type of music you listen to. The common choices are in-ear headphones and Circum Oral headphones. Circum Oral headphones are more suitable for home use. People usually use in-ear headphones because they are convenient to use during commuting or working out. The home theater market is getting bigger and bigger. Therefore, there's growth in projector manufacturers, and the home entertainment market is also getting bigger and bigger. The latest in audio equipment will go on display at the 33rd TAA International High-End Show in Taipei. The event will be held at the Grand Hotel from August 10th till August 13th. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Huang Yuchun in Taipei. An Indonesian language teacher and her daughter are teaching the Indonesian art of batik in Taiwan. Batik is a textile art that uses wax-resist dyeing to create vibrant, often deeply personal and symbolic designs. The art originated in Java and is now popular worldwide. Guanmei Lian teaches her students how to make their own batik cloth, and her daughter Liu Yuzhen is an accomplished artist whose batik clothing designs have won many awards. If you're not familiar with Indonesian batik art, welcome to the class. Only people like kings or those in the imperial court could get the opportunity to wear batik. Ordinary people like us wouldn't wear things like this. Indonesian-born Guan Melian says that when she first came to Taiwan, she was surprised how many people didn't realize that batik is the national costume of Indonesia. She and her daughter made a special trip to the island of Java to learn batik from the masters. They've now been promoting batik art in Taiwan for four years. It's a bit harder to do batik in Taiwan because our climate is different. It's too hot. The wax congeals, so it's something I've gradually worked out how to do. It takes real skill to apply wax to the cotton cloth. The temperature of the wax is crucial. Guan's daughter has come to assist today's class and help students through the process. When these cloths have been dyed and the wax removed, their first test patches are complete. <laughs> 
其实一开始做我觉得蛮丑，可是后来把那个蜡烛掉之后就觉得蛮好看的。Actually, when we started, I thought it was ugly, but when we took the wax off, I thought it looked nice. I think it's fun. You're not repeating the same thing again and again through the whole class. This is a junior high Indonesian language class. Guan teaches language and the distinctive artistry of Indonesia through batik, a veritable ambassador for cultural exchange. 蜡染的图腾就是表达哪一种群族群的平常生活的。The totemic symbols of batik express a journal of daily life for the tribe. So we're in Taiwan. What do we see here? We can record all of it in our batik. Write it out on the batik like in a journal. Guan's daughter Liu Yuzhen has also fallen in love with batik. She entered a contest with the design of these mother and daughter outfits, and in 2021, they won the Journey of Dreams prize from the National Immigration Agency. 妈妈是印尼语老师这件事，其实我觉得蛮骄傲的。I'm proud that my mom is an Indonesian language teacher. Firstly, she can speak Indonesian, and secondly, she can teach. When I tell people, I feel quite proud. Keep it up, mom. Leo wants to start a batik accessory brand, and following the footsteps of her mother, continue to spread the elegance and creativity of Indonesian culture in Taiwan. After a two-year hiatus due to COVID, the Summer World University Games opened on Friday in the southwestern Chinese city of Chengdu. Taiwan's delegation to the event includes gymnast Li Zhikai, otherwise known as the Pommel Horse Prince, and judoka Yang Yongwei, an Olympic silver medalist. Both athletes are expected to win a medal. Also attracting much media attention is the team captain for the women's volleyball team, Liao Yiren, who is this year's flag bearer at the games' opening ceremony. The goal, I think, is to first quickly and not leave any regrets. But the of course, my goal is for everything to go smoothly. I don't want to regret it later. My greatest hope is to be able to defend my title on the pommel horse. But also, it's to just do my best. It's my last time competing, so I don't want to have any regrets. For now, my preparation for the competition has gone smoothly. I am getting ready for the matches at my own pace. Obviously, my goal is to get a gold medal, but it is more important to be well prepared for every moment. It's been four years since our last World University Games, so there have been quite a lot of changes in our team's roster. I used to be a junior, and now I'm a senior player. I hope that I can lead my juniors well and enjoy the competition together while we strive for the best results we can get. Li says he hopes to win his third consecutive gold medal on the pommel horse, while Yang is aiming to get his first medal at the World University Games. Over in women's volleyball, Liao hopes to lead her team well while enjoying the competition with the younger players. Also taking part in the Chengdu Games is Olympic bronze medalist Luo Jialing, who is hoping to win a trophy back for Taiwan in Taekwondo.